As you're making your way back to your seat, we've been, we've been talking for the last couple weeks about prayer. And Mike um, Gruppen shared, Grant, you can turn this down a little bit. Mike uh, Gruppen shared last week uh, about the importance of like listening in prayer. And it was so good. And, uh, but as I think about prayer, and I think about like where we have been and the whole idea of prayer, if I'm honest, I can really struggle with prayer. Because I can pray for things and have been praying for things and, and pray over and over and over again, but I don't see things happen the way that I always want to, to them to, to them to happen or when I want them to happen. I want them to happen like more like immediate. And but this cu- past couple weeks, as we've been talking about prayer, uh, the last couple weeks I have seen a couple things that have really boosted my confidence in prayer. First of all, um, a couple weeks ago. I was meeting with uh, Cal and Terry Morrow. Abby is their, their daughter, and, and she uh, shared a request about a friend uh, today. And uh, a couple weeks ago, they shared a request about uh, an intervention that they had been a part of and asked us to pray for a woman and for a young man uh, for a drug intervention that uh, they had the previous uh, Saturday, uh, the day before we gathered in here. Well, I was meeting with them that following Wednesday, and we were downtown Holland at Good Earth, and I'm talking with Cal and Terry, and then all of a sudden, Terry's phone rings in a meeting, and it's like, hey, and she looked at it, and she goes, I usually don't take phone calls in the midst of a meeting, but I'm going to take this right now, because it's the, the young man who we had the drug intervention with on Saturday. She went and talked and, and came back, and it was her nephew, and, and uh, uh, Cal and I were like, what was that all about? And she said, you'll never... Guess what happened? They went up on Saturday for the drug intervention, talked to him, felt led by the Lord to do that. He, on the phone call a couple days later, said, that day before I was crying out to the Lord, and I said, God, I want out. I want out of this, but you're going to have to show me a way out. And on that Wednesday, he was calling his aunt to say, I need help. I want, a, I want out. And then Cal just shared with me a little update that, that he's moving forward and that he's going to check himself into a place and, and he's getting the help that, that he needs. And I'm like, that is such an answer to prayer and it boosted my confidence to pray. This past Wednesday, another example, we were meeting as men in this little front entryway and at the very end of our time together, a young man who's been a part of our gatherings a couple times uh, said, hey, I have a stuffy nose. My left nostril has been stuffed up. I couldn't, can't breathe out of it. And I haven't been able to breathe out of it for about a year since we moved to, to Michigan. And we're like, okay, left nostril. Okay, well, we'll pray, you know. And uh, we prayed. And I asked him even after, after, like during the prayer time, like, is it any better? Does it, is it cleared up? No, nothing like that. He went home and told his wife and said, I asked for prayer, which she has been wanting him to do, wanting him to speak up more, wanting him to to make requests, wanting him to to share more with guys. And as he was sharing with her, all of a sudden, boom, it was clear. And he could breathe out of his left nostril for the first time in a year. I mean, absolutely amazing. And it's one of those times where I'm like, I felt like something was going to happen. As we were praying, but then kind of disappointed that it didn't happen. But then all of a sudden I get a text the next day that it did happen. Now, those two stories boosted my my confidence in prayer, my my passion to pray. Like, no, we got to keep praying and never give up. However, if I'm honest, and I want us to be like brutally honest here as a community. If I'm honest, I'm like, okay, those are, are, are great answers to prayer. 
But I wrestle because what about Andrews? What about um, Jeff, who we've been praying for? What about those situations with, with, with cancer and, and with lost uh, friends that are lost or, or loved ones that don't know Jesus that we've been praying for over and over and over again? God, why are you answering these prayers but not answering these other ones, at least the same the way that I would want them answered? And if I'm honest, like we really wrestle with prayer. Like last week, man, there's an amazing story that Mike shared about finding the passport. I'm like, that is awesome. Praise the Lord. We need to continue to, to go to the Lord and ask and listen and say, okay, where would you direct me? But then I'm also like, what about a friend of mine who doesn't know you, Jesus? I've been praying for him for a long time. Why didn't we answer it? Why haven't you answered that one yet? And so I really wrestle with prayer, if I'm 100% honest. There have been people that I have prayed for that I didn't see the answer that I wanted to see. I didn't see them healed. I didn't see them delivered. I didn't see things happen. But then also other times I do see things happen. And this morning, my challenge to you, my challenge to me is really simple. And it's this, to continue to pray and not give up. And to continue to pray with passion, with uh, energy, with like an eagerness, like, God, we need you to show up in this situation. And I get this from our chapter that we're going to turn to this morning. And it's Acts chapter 12. And it's a picture of the church praying and praying earnestly. A picture of the church that I want us to be, a community that I want us to be. Before Acts 12, a couple chapters, you know, just a little background before we get to Acts 12, we see in Acts 10, and we were there a couple weeks ago, that uh, Cornelius was praying, and God heard his prayer. Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who wasn't a believer in Jesus, praying, and then out of that prayer time, felt led to, by the Lord to, to go have people sent for Peter, who was also praying at the same time. Peter got this vision of uh, food coming uh, down from heaven and was directed by the Holy Spirit to go with these people who came with, uh, from Cornelius. And so they went, and Peter opened up, and he shared the gospel with Cornelius, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell, and then the gospel, then they, they put their faith in Jesus. Well, this created quite a stir, because Jewish believers were like, wait a minute, you went to where, Peter? You went into the home of a, a Gentile? You're not supposed to go there. You ate with them? You ate what? Like, what did you do? And then he shared the story of how God moved in a powerful way. And they were like, okay. They worshiped God and they said, okay. Then the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. This is absolutely amazing. And then also at the end of 11, we see this picture of believers in Antioch. And many people went up there when they were running from their life, for their lives, being persecuted by Paul. Many of them went up to, to Antioch, and it says that they shared the gospel there, and many came to put their faith in Jesus. And so there was huge opportunity, huge expansion of the gospel. But then also in Acts 11 and into 12, we're going to see that there was difficult times. There was a famine all across the land. But then also opposition, persecution started to increase. Look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. It says this, about the time... About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When he saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. When he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each, Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. 
So the, the, the situation that's going on is we see in verse 1 that, that ordinary followers of Jesus were being taken into jail, taken into captivity, persecuted, killed for their faith. But then also Herod took James, who was a leader in the church, one of the three, one of Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, Jesus' inner circle, the one who had been with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when Jesus transfigured in all of his glory, when they saw him for who he really was, being God. James, who was there at some very powerful moments in, in Jesus' life, is killed. Killed by Herod. And so you have a leader in the church killed by Herod. You have other believers that were, were killed as well. And now Peter is arrested. Now when persecution arises, when we go through difficult times, what is our response? It says in verse 5, it says, when Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And I love that picture of, of praying earnestly. Because it's not just sitting there and just like, eh, just praying. No, it's praying with passion. Praying with, like, it's, like it's, it's a picture of someone straining towards somebody. Actually, it's a picture of someone reaching a hand towards somebody. Like if you're falling off a cliff and, and someone is up there to rescue you, you're like straining for their hand. That's the picture of what it means to pray very earnestly. Another picture of this that we see in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying. The same word is used there. It says, when Jesus, being in agony, prayed more earnestly in Luke 22, verse 44, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's how the church was praying. Praying earnestly, praying with, with, with an energy, praying with, with passion. And I have to ask, is that true of our lives? In the Passion Translation of this verse, it says this, in Acts 12, verse 5, next slide, says the church went into a season of intense intercession, asking God to free him. The message says this. Next slide. It says that all the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church prayed for him most strenuously. And here's the thing that I found interesting about this. This was their posture in prayer. This is how they prayed. Even though, even though, James had just died. I had to think about this. Like, that James would have been taken captive. James would have been put in prison. They surely would have prayed for this leader in the church, this follower of Jesus, their brother in the Lord. They would have prayed just as passionately about James as they're doing for Peter. And here they are praying for Peter, even though the situation with James turned out differently than they had hoped. And the thing that hit me about this this week is that earnest prayer, passionate prayer, isn't dependent on the results. Isn't dependent on the results. It's dependent upon faith. It's dependent on, on believing what Jesus says, on believing who Jesus is. It's not based on what we see all the time. Even though we see things, this earnest prayer is supposed to be dependent on our faith in Jesus, period, not on the results. We're to pray earnestly because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. We're supposed to pray with this energy because that's what Jesus wants us to do. This week I was reading in Mark chapter 3. And I was reading about how Jesus gathered disciples to be with him. To go out and preach the gospel. And to heal the sick and deliver people from demons. And I remember writing in my journal this week. I'm like, I want to believe that this is what we're supposed to do. But I don't see it all that often. And I was convicted in my spirit as I wrote that, 
to keep praying, to keep doing it, even though you don't see the results. To keep living this life of faith, to keep living this life passionately following Jesus, even though you don't see things the way that you want them to be. To continue to have this earnest prayer, to continue to cry out to the Lord, even though we don't always see it the way we want it to see. Because this is how the early church responded, and this is how the church should always respond in times of difficulty and times of plenty. Because the way we fight our weapons of warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We fight not with our hands, we fight on our knees because we believe that the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's why all throughout Scripture, it says pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Pray and don't give up. And why should we pray? Why are we supposed to live this life? Why are we supposed to have this earnest prayer in our life? Turn over to John chapter 15. And this is a passage that I just don't like. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to read it before we put up uh, verse 5 up there. Take that one down there, Piper. Thank you. Jesus said this. Just listen to these words. Jesus says, I am the vine, true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then verse 5. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll read it again. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Another translation just says, abide in me. Continue to abide in me. Rest in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zero. And I don't like that. I don't like that it says nothing. Because I would love for it to say something. I would love for it to say, apart from me, you can do some things. You can get some things done. But Jesus is very clear. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And why should this surprise us? Because this is the way that it has always been. This close relationship with the Lord. I look back all the way to Genesis 1, where creation happened. And God created Adam and Eve, and he, and he, and he said, you're going to have dominion over all of these animals. You're going to be able to, to, to have them as food, and here's, here's how, you, how to live. And that was on the sixth day, and he looked at everything, and he said, you know what? It was very good. And then the next day, what did he do? Rested. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have had a hard time there because God would have created me, and all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, let's go do this. Let's live this life. And then the first thing that they're supposed to do is just rest. Rest and be with the Lord. Fast forward to salvation. There's nothing that we do to earn salvation. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given so much. And it is all not by anything that we have done, not by our works, but only by believing or resting in Jesus. So if the way into a relationship with God through Jesus is by resting and abiding, why would the way that we live our life be any different? Jesus says in John 15, 5, abide in me, abide in me, rest, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I have to wonder, how often do we just sit and abide in the Lord and just say, you know what? Apart from you, I can do nothing. You're going to have to lead. You're going to have to guide. I'm just going to remain in you. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to rest in you. 
Too often I, and I bet others, are quick to do something, thinking that we can do something in our own strength. I love this verse. I love this story in 1 Samuel. It's a story of David. And an army came in and conquered David and the the, the nation and took uh, wives and kids captive. And it says that David was, they were thinking of stoning David. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, this is how David responded and this is how I want all of us to respond. So David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. All of them had been taken into captivity. And they began to talk of stoning him. But what did David do first? It says, David found his strength in the Lord his God. Another translation says this, David strengthened himself in the Lord. This always must be our first move, our only move, to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, to abide in him, to remain in him, and to remember over and over again that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. This week I was introduced to a man named Samuel Chadwick. I have a picture of him up here. He's not alive anymore. He's got a really cool mustache, though. But I was introduced to him through a quote that I read, and I'm going to get to the quote in a little bit. Samuel Chadwick was uh, born in England, and at the age of eight, so a couple years younger than Zane, at the age of eight, he went to work with his father in the cotton mine, working 12-hour days just to support his family. And as a young boy, he gave his heart to Jesus, wholeheartedly to Jesus, and wanted to live his life completely for him. And he would go to work for 12 hours in the cotton mill and would come home and just study scripture and read scripture. At the age of 21, he was appointed a leader in a church, a pastor in a church. And he thought, okay, here's my chance. I've been trained, I've been told how to preach these messages, and I want to give well-informed messages and and have these messages just really convict people. And so he went to, to work, doing the work of preparing these messages. He later would say this led to a false aim in his work. He lived and worked for his, his messages, and so he was exhausted, and nothing was happening. He thought he'd written so many great messages. And thinking that, like, he was, he was going to prepare his next message. And then all of a sudden, as he was praying to prepare his next message, his pride went right in front of his eyes. He started to, to realize that he was relying on human effort. And he was so humbled in time of prayer that he threw all of his sermons, all of his messages, into the fire. He said, I'm done with that. And he fell on his face before the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to fill him. And in that moment, he was baptized in the Spirit. And there was a renewed spirit that came up in him. And the next message that he preached, he saw seven people give their lives to Jesus. He went on to teach in a school and teach about prayer and and led um, a young man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, who became a, a big teacher on prayer, who eventually would mentor Keith Green. And this guy, Samuel Chadwick, just had a passion for prayer because it transformed his life. And this is what he said about prayer. He said that Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless work, prayerless study, prayerless religion. He laughs at our work. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And I have to ask us all the question. And have to examine my own life. Is the enemy laughing at us or trembling at us? Is he looking at our life and and laughing and saying, oh, their prayerless work, their prayerless religion? Or is he trembling? 
And if he is, isn't trembling, why not? Why, why don't we live these prayer-filled lives? And I think the problem is this. And it comes back to John 15, verse 5. I think the problem is this. It's pride. We think we can do things on our own strength. We think it depends on us. We think that we can do it. We think that we have a part to play. And I go back to Jesus' words in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And then I think, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to earnestly praying, when it comes to crying out before the Lord, we can do more in the next week with a heart devoted to Jesus, with a heart dependent on Jesus, with a heart crying out to Jesus in prayer, we can do more in the next week than we can in a hundred years apart from the Spirit. So we need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who, who look at things in our lives and say, you know what, this can only happen because of prayer. I want to live my life and have stories and see things that happen that, that blow us away because you know what, that can only happen through the power of God. And through prayer. And I want to see the miraculous. I want to see those who are sick healed. I want to see those who are, who are in prison delivered. But I also want to see that those who are going through the valley of the shadow of death. Filled with so much peace. That they're walking through the valley with their head up high. Keeping their eyes focused on Jesus. Because that is just as big of an answer to prayer as a person who's delivered. As a person who is healed. And we have to be a people who are earnestly and passionately crying out to the Lord. I have been wrecked, frankly, this week and, and even the weeks before over the lack of prayer in my life. I am blown away, sadly, by how much I can do in my own physical strength. But that can bring us so far. And I believe God wants us to bring, wants us, to bring us so much further. And we need to be a people who fall on our knees and pray. Here's what I love. I'm going to end with this and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. In Acts 12, verse 6. It says that Peter, when he was in prison, he was what? Asleep. Now, I don't know about you. Peter was in prison. Trials back then didn't last months, didn't last years. They lasted a day. Peter was probably spending the last night of his life in prison. Now, how would you be spending that night? If you knew the next day your buddy James had already been killed by the sword, his head cut off, if that was going to be your future, how would you be spending your night? I look at Peter, and I'm like, there is a huge transformation that happened. Because here was Peter. Here was Peter in the, at night. Like the next day, he was going to lose his life, and he is just peaceful. Peter was the one who was a challenger. Peter was the one all throughout his life who was, who was standing up and saying, you know, Jesus, I'm not going to betray you. He was the one who, has, when uh, they came to arrest Jesus, that he cut off the ear of the servant. Peter was always one who was up for a good fight. And here in the midst of a fight, Peter was asleep. And I believe he was asleep because there was so much peace in his soul. A peace that came from people praying, but also a peace that Peter knew in his life because he had seen God's faithfulness. He had seen God's goodness. He had been delivered in Acts chapter 5 from prison already. He's like, hey, God, you're good. I've seen you deliver me. You're going to do it again. But even if you don't, I'm still going to trust you. And so Peter was there peacefully sleeping. I think that is one of the results of prayer. I want to talk about that next week. How do we have peace in the midst of our prison? 
How do we have the peace in the midst as we're surrounded by guards and surrounded by people? But I just want us today to cry out to the Lord, to be people who pray earnestly. And there's so many things that we're going to pray about. So what I want us to do is we're going to wrap up with a time of worship. But this is also going to be worship and prayer. And there is a microphone in the back. And we're going to start with a song, a song that we sang a couple weeks ago, a song that we've sung, a song that we're really familiar with. But I want you, if you want to pray, if you want to pray giving thanks to the Lord for his goodness in your life, if you want to pray for a situation in our world, if you want to pray just for anything that the Lord puts on your heart, I want you to go to the back and Grant will have the microphone back there. And I want you just to pray. I want you just to pray so that we can hear. This is not a performance. This is not a time to preach. This is just a time where we as a church are going to do what we see in Acts chapter 12. And we're going to earnestly cry out to the Lord. If you have a, a, a friend who doesn't know Jesus, I want you to pray for the friend. I want you to, to pray. And we're going to all hear it. I'm just going to ask that we're kind of work together and all, you know, stop the music so that we can hear you pray. We'll kind of work together as we worship and pray. Does that make sense? And I don't want you to be bashful. I don't want you to be shy from just praying out loud because I truly want us to be people who earnestly pray Lord, earnestly cry out to the Lord. Even though we've seen some things, we want to see so much more. So let's stand together and worship and also pray.
wondering if anyone would be willing to be courageous and just grab the microphone back there and just pray. And just giving thanks to God for how he's been faithful in your life. to me how he answered prayer um, when I was this young 20-year-old praying to have um, children, and it was difficult. And now, naturally, and through fostering, I was supposed to be with over 30 kids. Um, he just reminded me how faithful he's been to that, to me. Father, you are faithful, faithful, faithful. And as your people, we're asking for a revelation on what it really means to be children of a good father, the, the parable style father that ran to find his kid when he was coming home from shameful behavior. And that spirit of shame and that spirit of fear that has come upon people, we bind that in Jesus' name and command that to lift off of us and to realize what it means to be your children, blessed with your inheritance. What do you have to do to get inheritance? Nothing. You don't deserve it. And we stand in this position where you are pouring out your spirit on us. Help us to quit looking at our circumstances and looking at what is trying to lie to us. 
look past it and walk in your power. Help us walk in your power. In Jesus' name. Father, for the problems that are here in this house, deliver us in Jesus' name. And all the while, show us your glory that we would know you just for the absolute joy of knowing you. In Jesus' name.
Lord says that no man can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. We cannot serve God and money, self, um, country. We could put thousands of things in that place, Father. And I, I confess my double-mindedness that I have not made you completely Lord of my life, but I, I, I lean on my own understanding. I lean on my own strength, my own physical strength, my own mental abilities, emotional abilities. And uh, Father, you love me so much that that's not where you want me. But I, I think there's a lot more other people in this room that are doing the same thing because the country live, we live in almost makes it fashionable to serve two masters. Uh, Father, we are a very materialistic people. And, and uh, it looks good when we're doing well and we've got all the stuff. But Father, I want to only serve you as my master. I want you only as my Lord. So Father, I, I pray that you would empower me to do that, but empower us as a congregation here, as, as this group of people, that we would surrender to Jesus. We, we sing that song, I surrender all, but um, I think maybe that's pretty seldom true in our lives, that we want to hang on to a lot of stuff to keep us propped up just in case you don't answer that prayer just the way we thought we have a backup plan. Father, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want, I want that for my brothers and sisters here. I want that for my children, my grandchildren, that they will make you the supreme only Lord of their life. In Jesus' name. where you don't trust them, where you've turned to other things and you put your trust in other things. Just bring that to the Lord and, and tell him you're sorry or maybe even whisper in the you know, person to your next to you that you're here with and just confessing that to, to them. Saying, I've, I've trusted in other things besides the Lord. I'm sorry.
want to be people who are wholly surrendered to you. In my private time, um, first of all, I want to say to the women, I already shared this, so forgive me for you having to hear it again. But um, anyway, in my private time, just a familiar verse that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And it was, you know, most of us are so familiar with that verse, right? But all of a sudden, it was just a slight bulb moment, like, wait a minute. I am the righteousness of Christ, and so are most of you here. We are the righteousness of Christ. So we get to declare our prayers availeth much. And do we believe that, church? Do we believe that? And unbelief is dissipated from prayer and fasting. Are we doing that? Do we believe that? That's how I've been challenged. That's just been coming to me over and over. Father God, thank you that you are the God of all truth. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Um, yeah. But thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your word does avail of much. Thank you that our prayers avail of much. And thank you that your power is in us. Lord, no more do we want to be that lukewarm church. 
This is it. We're drawing a line in the sand. We will see the blind man see. We will see Ryan walk. We will see heal the cancer heal. And I thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, while we were singing, I just saw this picture of Andrew running and Ryan running after him, chasing him, and Grandpa Jeff in the chair laughing at him. We need to see what God, how God sees us.